Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is David Moyes. This is Yapstam. This is Ryan Fraser. This is Troy Daly. This is Adam Lalana. This is Jürgen Klopp and you're listening to The Big Interview with Graham Hunter. It's The Big Interview with Harry Kuehl. Harry, um, you, you've, you've pressed pause on your life which we're grateful for because it's not a big secret to reveal that we're talking to you on the big interview during the international break. And anybody who works as hard as a coach in football deserves to get their free time. So first of all, thank you. It's good to have you on the, on the big interview. You're not the first Australian. Oh, well, good. I'm going then. If I'm not the first Australian, I'm going. Had you been able to contact you previously, you'd have been the first interview. Never mind eight mm. years ago, you'd have been the very first interview. Um, Harry, we're going to talk a lot about what a gifted, elegant footballer you were. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Well, you were. Balance, movement, pure striker of the ball in your era in the Premier League. Immensely gifted about that ability to know when to arrive in a space or to create a space. It's just really, really enjoyable to watch you in all the guises since you came to Britain. Um, but, but let's start with something that you've opened Pandora's box because you've talked about an era... That our listeners, we have, we've, we've had 25 million listens since we began this. So we know our ears, we know what our, our listeners like to hear about. Now, the magnif- you started, I think, I think your first team debut was under Howard Wilkinson, and then you graduated through a big friend of mine, George Graham. No idea how you did or didn't get on with George. I loved him. But we, well, uh, straight away, I'll, I will always say that with George Graham. I, I've been lucky enough to have great managers in my time. I've had a couple of uh, strange ones. <laughs> uh, but. The first two that you just mentioned there, Howard Wilkinson and George Graham, were probably the perfect kind of start for me to see what managers are actually like in a first-team environment. Why were they perfect? There are certain similarities in character traits between Howard and George. They're they're very intense, very detailed. They're cautious. I don't know if cautious is the right word. They have very crystal clear ideas on personal behaviour, training and how to play. They, they, they were. Now, my time with Howard Wilkinson wasn't as long as um, people, I think, realise. I mean, I only played a couple of games for him, trained you know, a few times uh, with them and all that. I mean, we were always brought in as a five or six players into the, the first team to, to train with the first team. So my connection with Howard Wilkinson, who I have a lot of time for now, um, I, I, I see him on coaching courses. I see him um, when I did my pro licence. I sat down with him and, and spoke uh, at length with him. 
Uh, so I do get on well with him, and I'm very grateful that he gave me the opportunity. Uh, but again, realising his strategies, his ideas, uh, getting involved with the first team, especially at a young age, was, was fantastic for me. And then really to kind of grow into that next phase where George Graham, now, even when George Graham did turn up at Leeds, I wasn't like in his first team straight away. I had to work my way into his team. But George Graham had this kind of presence that when he walked the halls of the, the training ground, you actually stood to attention. And you looked at yourself and said, am I presentable? Am I this? Am I with my socks up? Is everything right? Because he was one of these people that would look at you and go, you're working now. You know, so outside, right, I hope you, you look after yourself. But when you hear there's a structure, you know, there's a discipline, there's, there's all these things that I want to make you not only a better player, but a better person as well. And I love that, you know, because I, 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 I think that that just put me in good say, Look, I grew up with my dad quite strict as well. And so I grew up in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in an environment where everything had to be done right anyway. Rules and standards. Yeah, rules and standards, you know, because my dad worked a full-time job. But he always had, you know, proper standards. You know, he he had this kind of sense of, you know, I want to teach you to be, you know, uh, into the real world. You know, become, you know, a, a man straight away because you're coming into an environment that's very tough. What and would like he say, have taught you that served you well under, say, George? Oh, just how to be respectful, mm-hmm. to be, uh, you know, to um, to go out there and do your job properly. Mm-hmm. You know, because he never said if you're going out there to do a job, and you half do it. Mm-hmm. You know, your boss is only going to go out there and do it again. So just go out there and do it properly the first time. So that, that was installed in me at a very young age. So going in there and seeing George Graham and walking the horse out and you pay attention that when he spoke, you listened. And, and, and that's, that's, that's a big thing for me, right? I, it grates me even to this day where you would explain a session, right? And a coach will go through it all and he'd go, does everyone understand? And everyone would go, yes. And then straight away you're getting to the drill and people make a mistake and it infuriates because I don't understand. If you do not understand it, just put your hand up and go, boss, what is it? You don't have to do it in front of the team. Just, just speak to me. And I think people got shocked because I did it all the time because I wanted to make sure that I was doing the right thing that my manager wanted if I didn't understand it. Now, if my manager's quite crystal clear <laughs> and I know exactly what it is, then I wouldn't ask him. But if he asked, if he was doing a certain position, certain formation, and he wanted me a certain way, and Benitez was, was big at this, I'd always pull Benitez and I'd say, boss, this is what you want me to do, da, 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 da. And he'd go, yes, or he'd go, no, 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 this is... I'd say, oh, now I know. Because I didn't want to be that person to make the mistake, because it just it infuriates me. Supplementaries, not to go away from this, this is absolutely key. First of all, now I'll come back to George and presence, because I'd really like it, it's a difficult one. Can... Can you define presence? And in this series of interviews, we went up to the north of Sweden to sit with Svenjör and Eriksson. He was like, Mancini's this and Mancini's that. Remember? And he stopped and he went, but he's no David Beckham. And, and Svenjör and Eriksson was like, when Beckham comes in the room, I quiver, not, which is a different story, but, but pe- certain people do have it. I sat down with Stephen Gerrard um, at training uh, one day and I said to him, you come in a room and you everybody and he's like, I don't do that deliberately. He said, I'm really shy. I don't even know how. So how that happens is one thing. But secondly, you said, I think you hinted in either speaking to George or speaking to Rafa, would you take them aside? Because young men don't like to ask questions that show they haven't understood in front of other young men because 
in the macho culture, that's like, you haven't quite kept that, or it's teasing, whatever. So did you have the confidence to do that in front of the group, or did you always do it separately? So again, and I agree with you, a lot of people don't like to do it in front of a group. Now, it's depending on the manager. Now, again, I am quite open. Like, I'm a very confident person, mm-hmm. so I'll be quite happy to have a conversation with my coach in front of all my players, and I've done that before. Whether they like it or not, it's a different story. Now, I knew, for example, Benitez didn't mind it in front of the, front of the, uh, front of the group, but he also didn't mind it on the, on the side. Mm-hmm. But like I said, it wouldn't be, if you clearly didn't know, then I think it's, a, it's, it's, it's down to that person naturally. But for me, I had no problem in speaking in front of a, a group of players because I was, I was, I was a confident person. And I don't mind making a mistake because I'm a firm believer you make a mistake, that's how you learn. You know, if you constantly sit there and you're, you're perfect, you've got nowhere to kind of grow. So I think you should be able to push in boundaries and go, can I do this or can I not do that? And then that's how you learn to grow as a player. I identify well. with that. I completely agree. And I think that I, I personally wouldn't have always felt that way. I have done for the large part of my professional career because, in all honesty, if I've got a sincere question, I was like, oh, fuck what anybody else thinks, really. And it's only to oh. better me. And I, But not, neither of us, I suspect from what you answered, neither, there are people who ask questions to go like, how clever, you know, look, boss, look. Well, that's all the bollocks too, that's not. But if you need to know something to execute your job well, I, I, it, ask. I, yeah, and like I said, I've also argued. Because like you said, you, you, you spoke about me at the start with about how I see the game. Yeah. And if you get a manager that can like be with you and, and be part of that, I mean, that's how I shine as a player. But if you get a, a manager that's structured and has to be, and like Benitez was a very structured uh, coach, it, I have to change myself because at mm. the end of the day, he, he's the boss and you have to follow his rules. But like I said, coming into other meetings where I've had coaches where that explains something and I'd be just baffled. And I just, it infuriates me mm. when players don't sit there and then what they'll do is they'll go out there and they'll go, oh, I didn't understand that. I, I, you know, I, I didn't get this. And I'm sitting there going, well, why wouldn't you actually ask? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not, a, it's, it's not you being rude or anything. You're just actually asking what do you want me to actually do? Mm-hmm. So when I go out there, I'm not going to get bollocked, mm-hmm. you know? And I, I just find, and like I said, it's, it's a shame that not enough players actually have the courage actually to do that. But I think you've, you've got to be able to do it at a young age. Mm-hmm. Like I say, I, and then it just gives you more confidence. We're coming to that theme about training ground cultures in a second, but um, you can knock this out of the fence if you want. But I go back to you, instinctively, a confident person, instinctively said, George was you, you straightened your shoulders as you said it. Yeah. What is presence? What did George have? He was an immaculate man first and yeah. foremost, right? Yeah. The way he spoke, the way he conducted himself on and off the pitch, he was very demanding. He had a structure of how he wanted to play. Like I said, he was very clear and if you didn't do something, he would tell you. <laughs> and he didn't just tell young players, he told his top players. Mm-hmm. And I think that then in a, a, an environment that is like no one's off the hook, you know, because if you, got a, if you ever have a, a manager that's only having a go at certain players, which not very managers, uh, not a lot of managers do that, but you've got to be able to have a go at your top player if he's not doing it right. And I think that sets a... a, a One a, rule a for all. Yeah, yeah. And that's how he kind of conducted himself. But like I said, he was there on and off the park. He was that, that presence and like I said, I, even when I had a few private meetings with him, the way he spoke to me personally, it was 
it was good. You want to say, we, we, there was a spell when I was still living in England where we were out to dinner quite a lot and we talked football. He took a couple of us back late at night to his, his garden, his beloved garden, and um, all the chrysanthemums and the rhododendrons are ordered just like he wanted his back for. And he takes you around with great pride as well, but yeah. he, he treats his flowers with the same sort of you will not wilt type thing as he does his players. Um, Honestly, I'd like to say he's, he's, like a, he's, he's a proper gentleman. Oh, proper gentleman. And you talked about his elegance off the pitch. He dresses, still dresses completely elegantly. And he was, he was called apart from stroller because in midfield, gorgeous George, gorgeous George. Yeah, yeah. 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 I see I your mind goes yeah. the way mine does as well. He's a, he's he's an absolutely great man, and it's been a joy knowing him. Um, so, this is what you've talked about. I don't know whether it was as as uh, feisty under George, but by the time that your Leeds team is reaching its peak, you've talked about the fact that. Um, under David O'Leary training, training could be super intense that it effectively it was not quite survival of the fittest but I'm asking for two reasons there are a lot of people who listen now who have no idea that that's what British training grounds were like and that you had to be it, it was a little bit of survival of the fittest and that this idea now we've got about we're extremely careful about diet posture, dentistry, psychology for players. Whereas in the era you trained in, it was like, can you look after yourself? Can you take a kick the day before the game? And in this series, we've had Terry Gibson talk to us about the Friday kick-ups at Spurs, where basically it wasn't even a game. You just kick fuck out of one another to be ready for the next day. We've had Graham Souness and Terry Butcher talking about the England versus Scotland at the old training ground outside Ibrox, where again it was just a war. Michael Carrick talking about a different environment, but ultra intense, so that training for them in that era of Scholes and Keane and Rio and, and Beckman, it was like all the training sessions were harder than the matches, much harder. The weekend, he said, by the time the weekend came, to try and build a proper picture of what training at Leeds in that era was like. So when I first came over to Leeds, like I said, I had to learn very quickly uh, how to survive. But like I said, I grew up, in a, an environment where I always played with my older brothers as well. So I knew how to deal with myself um, growing up anyway. So coming over here, I knew. And I also felt being over here, my only one time to come back to Australia was once a year. So I knew I was here for good. And plus, I didn't have that comfort of, if I didn't play well, mm-hmm. right, I didn't have the comfort of my parents being here, come mm-hmm. on, I'll take you home and uh, I'll cook you a nice meal, go see your other friends and do that. So I had to go back out in the training park. Right. And that's, that's what I wanted anyway. So I kind of grew up quite quickly. Um, but we all grew up together because we had like Alan Mabry, we had Stephen McPhail, Damian Lynch, Lee Matthews, Paul Robinson. The Youth Cup side. The yeah, Youth Cup winning cup. side. I mean, and even now youth games, like our youth team training sessions was intense. When we used to play Young v Old, it was terrible. I mean, you'd see so much. And I wasn't a tackler, right? The, you know, the one thing I did get taught when I was young is to... Uh, to jump high and, and learn to run quickly, right? Because then you won't get go get caught. So at least I had that too in me. But I used to see some of the challenges, even at that level, right, was intense. Mm-hmm. And I go and, and I suppose we had a, a an environment, especially with that youngsters, but we had an environment of winning anyway very early. Mm-hmm. And then even when we went and trained with the first team, like I, I, I see youngsters come up now and, you know, I, I see it different, you know, and you usually see one or two sometimes can shine and you think, oh, he's got something. 
Whereas when we came up to the first team, there was about eight of us that were shining. And sometimes we would actually play the first team off the park and they would get annoyed, you know, and we'd end up... I remember one time where Alan maybe met Carlton Palmer and Carlton Palmer looked at him and just turned and said, you ever do that again, I'm going to kill you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Mabes was like, yeah. well, I was just trying to get out of the area, the tight area. And I also remember one time where I, I got cheeky in, in, uh, in, in one of the, the games and I remember... The ball got played over, controlled it well, put the ball on the ground, got it down on my hands and knees and bang, kind of headed. And all I remember seeing is big David Hopkins two-foot me like that, straight near my head. And I end up ducking there like that and just missing it. And he slid past me. And I go, Hoppy, what the? F-? He goes, you ever do that if I can again? I'll make sure yeah. I catch you. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, I won't do that again. So that environment was, was, was there in us, but we had a few first-teamers as well that was, was tough. But then we had the likes of Lee Bowyer come in. Mm-hmm. Right? Then we had the likes of Alan Smith coming up. Then we had uh, David Batty come in. And then we had Gary Kelly, who was a feisty person mm-hmm. anyway. And we just started to have this intense training group that was very professional. Like, we were great mates off the park. Mm-hmm. That was the one thing that when we all drove in, everyone spoke. And we talk about a team bus. And I, I see on team buses now, everyone's got their little seats and on the phone and, and not talking. Whereas you were on that Leeds bus, everybody would be talking to everybody. It was chaos. I mean, the manager must be thinking, are these actually guys concentrating? Or they're just mucking around? But yeah. we had this environment. It's a bond, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it, it was a huge one. If, if we went out, everyone went out, mm-hmm. right? Everyone stayed out until there was a certain time, until you went back. And if you didn't stay, you were in trouble with the team, right? So we had this environment, but, and it was all friends, and we'd always have a laugh. But as soon as we crossed this white line, I don't know, everyone just changed. Everyone wanted to play. I mean, we had, what, Viduka, myself, Smith, Bridgie, Robbie Keane, Robbie Fowler. They were the strikers. Mm-hmm. And there's only two can play. Mm-hmm. And only two can be on the bench. So we had to fight. Mm. And, and you go back to what you just said about the Man United team. Training was harder. You know, and tackles would be flying. And there would be tension because players wanted to play. certain types of flare-ups where you know two don't like each other yeah. one of them's about but in general there will be flare-ups it will come it will go it'll calm down and 95 percent of the time the two players are like, yeah, well, I, you know half a day later or a day later it's like cool it just happens it's, it's natural yeah well this this was slightly different with us because i don't know sometimes i mean if there wasn't a fight a week at leeds yeah. it just wouldn't be the same because that's how intense it was whether that was just two players boiling over because mm-hmm. it had a scuffle a week before and it just boiled it's over or someone was just taking the mick or some or some team was just uh you know overpowering and another team and they were just you know bickering and all that or you played young v old or someone made a decision that you weren't happy with yeah. but like i said i that created that bond yeah. that when we and and the one thing i i loved about the team was the fact that the training sessions were tough, they were hard, and there was arguments. But as soon as that finished, it never kind of went off the pitch. Yeah. 
and then even if it went into the game, it never went into the game as well because you knew that the team was ready to fight on the weekend. And they, they had one back. another. They had your back. Yeah. And well. you knew that they were ready. And they were kicking lumps out of each other. What do you think they were going to do to the opposition? <laughs> and that was the great thing about that, 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 that team of Leeds because people thought, oh, well, we'll pass this young team off the park. Well, they couldn't pass us off the park because yeah. we could play. Then they said, oh, well, hang on a second, we'll bully them. Well, they couldn't bully us because we had some of the nastiest players in the league. Uh, we could go long. Well, we could deal with that. because You quick. could do the lot. We as a team could do the lot, which that's what I'm saying. That's why I think everyone at that time, Leeds was their second team because mm. they liked their home mm. team, but then they liked to watch this young team. It was team very attractive forward. football. It was very attractive football. It, 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 was, it was a good time because we had such a, a good connection between us all. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had players like Boya, box to box, mm-hmm. into, uh, into areas where... You know, we used to always say, but how do you score these goals? <laughs> you know, and he go, and I remember I said to him, I said, but you're so lucky. I said, every time you get in that box, you, that ball falls to your feet. He goes, what? He goes, Harry, look at my game. And I actually looked at his game. He makes a run about 40 times a game <laughs> to get that ball once. So percentage wise, yeah. you'll be there as long yeah. as you keep making them. Yeah, that's, and, that's what it, and then when you looked at it, you think, oh, fair enough. But you struck me as different because, and I have gone back to look to try and reconfirm, because your memory plays all kinds of tricks. It appeared to me that you had a very good peripheral vision and a sense of where either by knowing your teammates where a ball might drop or where you might be best available for a pass, but also a lot of the time when you struck the ball so sweetly, you seem to be in more space than you should have been. And to me, that's ne- almost never a fluke. Uh, I suppose if you talk about my individual game, and I suppose when I shine the most was when I was allowed to have freedom. Uh, I love my left side. I love being able to do it. But when I first started on the left side, look, I was very direct. Mm-hmm. I loved running with the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, I love taking people on. And I hate the saying, you know, you only need to beat him once out of ten. Because the other nine times don't really matter. right? I don't like that saying. Because that don't get you past him. It's 15, 16, 17 times you've got to keep going. And you've got to keep going at your defender. You've got to make him think. Because then he's lost. So, I, I mean, the, one of the main things I, I used to do when I used to play, as soon as I received the ball, if, if the fullback stayed off me 10 yards, I'd whip across him. So he'd think, okay, well, I've got to get nice and tight. So next time he come in, I'd push it long. Then he'd go, oh, okay. If I come in close, he's going to push it long. If I stay out wide, oh, okay. Next minute, I'd run inside. He'd go, oh, my God. Next minute, he's running inside. This is beautiful territory. We, 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 in one of our earliest ones we did with Chris Ward, and we said, can we ask Chris about his art? Because not everybody knows how they do what they do. But you're like him. You do. When you had a rival, did you really very much Shane Warren it? I'll mix up my bowling. And I, just... I, honestly, I would make him think that much that he'd get tired. And if he'd get that tired, that means I'm winning. Yeah. And it's even the same information I, I, I speak to the, my wingers now. Mm. It's like, you've got to be able to move them. Mm-hmm. Now, if, even if you get someone that's tied to you, and then that's what happened. People usually started to just mark me. So then I would be allowed because of the manager. He'd say, look try and find space. I'd say, okay. So what I'd do is I'd go sit down on someone else. I'd take myself out the game and then I'd, I'd sit there sometimes and I'd be looking at these two players marking me because I'd mark one and he'd mark me and they'd be thinking, well, what should I do? And I'd mark someone that can't physically get out of their position, like a centre-half or a midfielder. And I'd just say to Bo or Batty or Eric Backer, just Look, use that space I've done there. That. I've done that for you. And then they'd think, oh no, I've got to move. As soon as he'd move, I'd move somewhere else and then I'd be able to get the space. But I had that freedom. Of especially when you're playing a team. Are you in a game within a game mentally there? Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
Oh, like, again, you don't see so much of it nowadays because it's very structured. And it's the way that managers uh, want to play their game. They play a very high-pressing game. They yeah. want people in certain areas. It's very rare you get kind of a player that's allowed to have that kind of freedom to drift into areas and be able to pick up the ball uh, even behind. Because I used to love sometimes picking up the ball deep. Because that's another thing. If you pick the ball up sometimes deep, how far is that fullback going to actually yeah, come yeah, out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because then you can have your your, your and your as long as everybody up. else in your shirt is on the same wavelength as you, they're like, as soon as Harry's gone there, give it about five seconds. No, Harry's Are gone you, there. Give it five seconds, and that space will appear for us. It, it, it used to be funny because when we used to uh, do the team talk, like Eddie Gray used to come out <gasps> on, on, on the on the pitch. One of the all time greats. Well, that's uh, not my favorite. Uh, he was one of my favorites. Ah. and again, I. I grew up with him. He was constantly always pushing me. But when he used to go through the team talk on the pitch, he'd go through everyone's position, da 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 like that, and then he'd go, just give the ball to H. Right? And all the players would just look at me and go, <laughs> like that. But it worked. It worked. Um, so, look, you've opened up a different channel because I can't get back to the comparison we're training today until I say, I wasn't going to say messy to you, but I am now. Because he's, he's, he, as he's got older, has, you've effectively described what he does. He's like, I will go deep, I'll go, I'll ask them who wants to come in. Irrespective of his terrific brain and his terrific skills, the way you described that you needed to play once every rival went tight with you, that's effectively in a snapshot of his life. That's how he, he drove Argentina to the World Cup. D- did you relish watching that? So I, 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 I hear what you're saying. But then you don't I've, I've agree. Watched, I've no. I've watched Messi, and I think he's gone through stages throughout his whole career where he's done the movement thing. But then I think there's there's been a period where as well where he's actually just stood still, right? And that's one of the hardest things to do as a player, and especially if you're marking that player, because he's an attacker. He's just standing there. And what happens if he just stands there? You're just going to stand there with him? You can't, because the defender gets itchy feet. Can I, can I, you've made me think when I watch him standing still or when you watch him moving and doing something even after all the years I've been watching him which is since the first day he played for Barcelona's junior teams because I was living there the number of times that you find him in space and I'll sometimes you're working on a match and you, you stop and watch him Nobody, nobody's got the nerve just to say, well, I'm staying with him too. It's, it's, I don't know if it's, it's physically it's, or mentally no, impossible, it's, it's but the they hard, don't. It's, it's, no, it's the hardest thing to do because as an as a, as attacker, you're just waiting, right? You're, you're waiting for that movement. And you're thinking, okay, if someone's actually physically marking me, if I stand still, right, I'm going to take him out. Of, take him out. So that means there's a gap somewhere because that player should be in a, a certain area. That player will get itchy feet because he knows he's got to be able to cover. As soon as he makes one or two movements, bang, he goes the other way, he gets the ball, he's gone. And that's what you do. That's what, and, and I've seen him do that. And I've looked and I've gone, he actually does nothing in a game. But then, like I said, he's waiting for that right moment where that player just, oh, I've got to help out. Or, like I said, the opposition win the ball and they think, oh, well, I can break off Messi. And then as soon as you break, they win the ball back, bang, find him. But the problem is, is when you have players like that, you've got to deliver. Mm. If you can have a player that does that and every time you go to the ball, he lost the ball, players would be like, no, 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 that doesn't happen. But with players like that, when you actually give the ball, he actually creates something, he creates a chance, he scores a goal, players will go, that's fair enough. And that's what you need. Did you enjoy his World Cup? Yeah, I didn't mind it. Yeah, I, 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 I wasn't like... When I ask that, I often see people jumping forward to tell me about how much... But le- look, less look, so look, with look, you. Look, 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 fantastic that he's won. I mean, he, he's... The whole debate now is like, he's the greatest player to have played the game because he's won the World Cup. And that, for me, no. Because like I said, I... 
I think the the way that the older generation played, like for Maradona and all that, you know, the pitches that they played on, the challenges that they 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 ride. I mean, again, I want to see, and I, I used to love Messi, and I, I, Messi still does it to this day. Mm. Uh, but I, I, it infuriates me seeing wingers now. As soon as they get touched, they go down. They get touched and they go down, and I, and I don't like that. And I try and install it even here with my players, and my players now are starting to do it. I love the fact that a winger gets the ball, he rides a challenge, he pushes off a defender, mm -hmm. and I go, that's what gets people excited. Mm -hmm. You know, that's mm -hmm. what gets people on the edge of the seat to go, oh my God, he's going to get the ball now, and you watch this. Not, he's going to get the ball and fall over. Mm -hmm. He gets a foul, stops a game. He's going to actually get the ball, he's going to ride a challenge, he's going to beat someone, he's going to whip across. That's what I like, and that's what Messi was great at. Mm -hmm. Look, it's just that he's got to that point. I mean, when mm -hmm. he was younger, it was phenomenal. The challenges that he used to ride was... Mm -hmm probably the same as was Maradona but Maradona's was just on another level for him. as you said he could at that age he could run fast and jump high I, want, I deliberately I said before we started recording I said I'd like you to paint the picture of what life at Leeds was I, I, we can't leave that until you have to explain David Batty as your favourite player We've, we've, got, we've yeah. got people called socios who've supported us all our lives and Gareth Scriven writes in David he knows too David Batty is Harry's favourite player Whatever happened to David after his playing days, you never seem to hear him from him anymore, which is a separate question as to just bottle up your admiration for David Batty. So, uh, so I was playing, obviously, for Leeds, and my first encounter with Bats was with when he was at Newcastle. Mm -hmm. So and I remember we were playing up at St. James's Park, and I remember the ball came in just in our half line, and I remember going up for a header, and Bats was coming in, and he went bang, elbow, straight across my upper lip, cut me seven stitches up there. And I remember going on the bus and I was trying to talk and all the players were laughing at me, this, that and the other. And in that, I think in that January, I think we signed him. Mm -hmm. And I remember going up because I was the, like, the main player. And so I remember going up to Bats and like, I'd seen Bats play and I knew what he was like and all that. I remember going up to Bats, hi Dave, you know, introduced myself, da, da, da. I said, oh Bats, can I just ask you a question? He goes, yeah. I said, up in St. James' Park, why did you elbow me? He goes, I don't know. And just walked off. I just went, <laughs> okay, that was his character. He wasn't like, he, he was funny, but he just come in, done his work and, and, and went home. And people always say, oh, you've played with some fantastic players. And mm -hmm. I have played with some fantastic players. But for me, the best players are the most simplest players. The ones that never give the ball away, mm -hmm. right? Now, Bats never gave the ball away. Never gave the ball away in training. Never gave the ball away in the game. Knew his role, understood his role, and gave the ball to players that could do the better job. And that was him. And I think when you go back to... Everyone talks now about the holding midfielder. That is one of the main positions mm -hmm. of football. Mm -hmm. Everyone talks about Makaleli. Everyone talks about Fernandinho. That started that, I believe. He was the first one in the England squad, for Newcastle, for Leeds. And, and I saw him most at Leeds, and even in Blackburn, but most at Leeds where, I said, he just sat in front of that, the two centre-halves, broke everything up, mm. solid in his challenges, kept to his job, mm. got the ball, won the ball, played the ball, looked for me a lot of the time, gave me the ball, and then just covered me. And I think, as a player like me, the one that drifted around, wanted to see certain areas, sometimes didn't do the defending side, he would be there. And that's what I loved about players. I don't, like, you can talk about great players doing this, great ball, this, that. I love simple players that play the game simple because football's not difficult. It's a simple game. Get the ball, play it forward into a position where someone's easier. That's a really big position. praise. If you, the, one of the hardest things to do is to make football simple. 
It's one of the things that people say about Busquets, one of the things that people maybe said about Carrick for sure. And it, Batty's work was in a real sort of war zone if he was breaking things up or if he was receiving the ball under pressure from a centre-half or whatever. So he's making your life or other players simpler. He's doing the right thing for the team, but he's actually working in a very industrial area where actually it's more difficult to be simple because... Getting rid of it quickly, if you hear thundering hooves, is, is, wasn't a temptation for him, but it must be a temptation. No, but, but, but again, like, everyone's just going, oh, shoot David, shoot David. But David knew his limitations. And he just said, why would I shoot? Why wouldn't I not give the ball to someone that's a better shooter than me? And like I said, it's, football's not difficult. Mm-hmm. It's a simple game if you play it properly. Mm-hmm. And do you stay in touch? With bats? Yeah. No. Does anybody? <laughs> no. No, I don't think so. Gareth, is your answer. 